0: I'm excited to have the opportunity to bring God's Word to you this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And I didn't check what page that was in the Pew Bible, so help each other out finding that if you need. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. just It's the one I'm familiar with. It may be a little different than your translation, so just a heads up there as well. Last time I had the privilege of preaching here, I finished preaching my sermon and stepped down and Craig announced that I participate in the longest service that Redeemer has ever had in its history. So I'll try not to to make that the case today. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and let your glorious power be shown to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. O Lord, our God and Father, we ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts to see the beauty and the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. A Kenneth Graham's classic book, one of my favorites, The Wind in the Willows, tells the story of mole, rat, badger, and toad. And in this following scene, mole has returned to his hole in the ground After he had discovered the upper world, up and outside of his hole, and this is from the book, the weary mole also was glad to turn in without delay and soon had his head on his pillow in great joy and contentment. But before he closed his eyes, he let them wander around his old room, mellow in the glow of the firelight that played or rested on familiar and friendly things, which had long been unconsciously a part of him. And now smilingly received him back without rancor. He saw clearly how plain and simple it all was, but clearly too how much it all meant to him and the special value of some such anchorage in one's existence. He did not at all want to abandon the new life and its splendid spaces, to turn his back on sun and air and all they offered him and creep home and stay there. The upper world was all too strong. It called to him still, even down there, and he knew he must return. But it was good to think he had this to come back to, this place which was all his own, these things which were so glad to see him again and could always be counted upon for the same simple welcome. That's a beautiful description of home, home. And in Psalm 90, Moses tells us that God is our dwelling place. It's more than a mere house. It means the Lord Himself is our home, a place of special value, an anchorage in our existence in this fleeting world in which we live. We have a God who always smilingly receives us back without resentment, a God who can always be counted upon for the same warm and simple Welcome. The Lord is our dwelling place, our home throughout all generations. And so I think Psalm 90 is a good place to go as we continue to look ahead to 2019, to this new year. Because it reminds us that this world, Charleston especially, for all of its sun and air and special places, this world's passing away. And so are we. But it also shows us how to face this fleeting world in which we live with all of its uncertainty, with all of its insecurity, and to live a life that matters for eternity. And at first, Psalm 90 does that by showing us God's eternity and our frailty. God's eternity and our frailty. We see that in verses 1 through 6. If you look at the heading to our psalm, it tells us that this is a prayer of Moses, the man of God, a prayer of Moses. It's helpful to remember as you're reading the Psalms, the headings, even though they're in small print in your Bible, in the original text, it's as if they're in verse 1. It's right in the flow of the text. And so there's no reason to think that these are not reliable headings. So we know that this Psalm is a prayer of Moses, the man of God, and Moses' prayer begins in verse 1, "'Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations.'" Ancient Greek and Latin translations of the Old Testament have the Lord as refuge here, but most translations follow the Hebrew's dwelling place, and for good reason. Knowing the Lord Himself as a home, as a dwelling place, as that anchorage in one's existence would have been especially valuable to Moses and to His people, the Israelites. As they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, as they were outside of the land that God had promised them, they didn't have a place to come home to. After a long, hard, tiring day, they had no place that they could call their own. In this world in which we as human beings are wandering, this world with all of its uncertainties and insecurities, as we look ahead to this new year, uncertainties, insecurities, and finances, and all of their unexpected expenses in work or school and all the new challenges that, that a promotion or a new semester can bring. In family, with all of your children's different, different needs and responsibilities, all of your parents' different needs and responsibilities. In health, you never know when your body might betray you. In relationships, you never know when a friend might betray you. Even in our homes themselves, our homes with all their, their friendliness and familiarity, you never know when Your basement might flood, or your roof might leak, or a pipe might burst. In all of this insecurity and uncertainty in the world that we face, how secure is this home? Look at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Everlasting to everlasting. Everlasting. Our home is a place of eternal security. And Moses looks back to creation He looks to the mountains. If you go hiking or biking or walking in the mountains and, and you look up and you see the sheer size and majesty and immensity of the mountains and, and the lines and textures of all the stones, th- their beauty and their majesty just overwhelms you. And you get this sense that, that this is old, this is ancient, this is powerful, The mountains are newborns compared to God. The world had a beginning when God spoke it into existence by the word of His power, but God Himself has no beginning and no end. He is eternal and unchanging, and it's in the light of the eternity of God, the security of God, that we we sense our frailty and insecurity as human beings. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. So Moses has looked back to creation. Now he's looking to the curse. The world and all who live in it are under the curse of death. Moses himself wrote about it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. If you look at verse 4, we continue to see this stark contrast between God's eternity and our frailty. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. It's from the perspective of eternity we begin to see just how short our lives really are in this world. To God, a thousand years are, are not just as a day, but as yesterday. Yesterday is already gone. Before we even know it, our time on earth is gone as well. A thousand years are like a, a watch in a night. So, when viewed from eternity, our life is not only incredibly brief a watch was just a few hours but you hardly know whether you're awake or asleep. It's gone before you know it. You think you have a long time to make your mark, to be remembered. Moses is saying, you've got a quarter of an hour. You've got a snack break. That's it. Think about what the prophet Isaiah says to God's people. Essentially, he says, you think you're big stuff? You're a drop in the bucket. Dust on the scales when viewed from the light of eternity. Moses continues to press home the reality of our frailty with these metaphors in verses 5 through 6, if you look there. Look at these metaphors. The first metaphor, you sweep them, and that's referring to people, away as with a flood. So like a flood, death comes quickly, often unexpectedly, and it devastates. Second metaphor, they are like a dream. So again, life is over before you know it. Third metaphor, like grass renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. And this last metaphor is just especially discouraging, is it not? Because there's early promise, but it only ends in later frustration. And the things in our lives are like that. A promising new job or career prospect falls through the cracks. A a new workout plan is getting you into shape, and then an injury derails it. You think that he or she is the one, and then your heart is broken. The things in our lives are like that, and ultimately our lives themselves are like that. There's the budding of growing up, there's the bloom of youth, and then there's the fading and withering of old age. And we hear this rhythm, we hear this drumbeat in a genealogy, in a record of ancestral descent that Moses himself wrote in Genesis 5. So listen for this drumbeat. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And on and on and on it goes. You hear that drumbeat. He lived, he fathered he died. He lived, he fathered, he died, and on and on and on throughout every generation. Our frailty as human beings. But then the psalm goes on to show us the reason for that frailty, the reason for our fleeting lives in verses 7 through 11. What's the reason for our frailty as human beings? Verse 7, for we are brought to an end by your anger, Death, a result of God's anger? Now, you may be sitting here this morning, that answer may surprise you, that answer may annoy you, that answer may even anger you. But I want you to consider the context of this passage, in Moses himself, who's writing this psalm for a moment. Think about Moses. He is facing this reality of death every single day, day by day, year by year. He's wandering in the wilderness, and he's watching his fellow Israelites, the people that God had called him to lead into the promised land. He's watching them drop dead in the desert every day. Bruce Waltke is a commentator on Genesis, and he does the math for us. And I didn't check it, so we'll just trust that his math is correct. 600,000 men of Israel came out of slavery in Egypt, so including their wives and children. That's over a million people, certainly. All of that generation died in the desert wandering, which lasted for 40 years. Anybody starting to do the math? On average in the desert, Moses would have witnessed how many deaths a day? 87. 87 deaths a day three to four deaths an hour. He's watching the people that God called him to lead, dropping dead like flies in the desert. But think about it. Why was Israel wandering in the desert in the first place? Why was that happening? Because God had promised to give them a land. He promised to give them a home, a place that would be their own. And despite the opposition they would face from the enemies in the land, God himself would be with them and fight for them and allow them to inherit the land. But they didn't trust God. They didn't believe that God had their best interests at heart. So even though God had led Israel right up the porch steps and right to the front door of the promised land, they said, no, we don't want to go in. They refused to enter. And so for their unbelief, for their disobedience, God, in his righteous anger, justly punished them. Put it another way, they didn't want to go home. And so God didn't let them. And what was Moses' understandable response to the reality of death that he faced every day? And what's our understandable response? Look at verse 7 again. We are dismayed by your anger. We're dismayed. We're overwhelmed. We fear death. It's understandable. Which means ultimately we fear judgment. Because death, though it's an enemy, death is, is itself a judgment from God. And so why wouldn't we fear it? It's understandable. Look at verse 8. It gets a little more personal. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. We face God's righteous judgment for our sins. You may, in this life, you think, be able to hide uh, your sins from the sight of others or hide it from yourself by shifting the blame to your circumstances or to other people. But one day, all of our sins, secret and otherwise, are going to be exposed in the light of the presence of God of God. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath, your anger. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. And so those earlier metaphors emphasize the brevity of our lives, the shortness of our lives. This metaphor adds what we also know all too well, the futility, the emptiness of our lives. And then verse 10 brings these two together. First, look at the brevity. Again, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. You may have heard when I read that Genesis chapter 5 passage, those long lifespans, 900 years, 800 years. Moses in Genesis chapter 6 recorded God's words that man's lifespan would only be 120 years. And now he's looking around and he's saying, We don't even make it that long. And if you think about it, all these thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, for all of our cultural and technological advances, that's what we get too, isn't it? Get 70 years, and you say, ah, but I eat organic. I'm plant-based. I'm paleo. Take your pick. I saw that one of the, the food trends for 2019 was going to be pegan, so you just kind of mix everything together. You say, I, I exercise every day. I'm purposeful. I'm strong willed. I'm determined. Moses says, Congratulations, you get 80. Well done. You say, Ah, but Moses, he didn't have the wonders of modern medicine. Well, that's true. If he had written it today, maybe he, he would have added a line in the psalm and said, 90, 100. You get a little extra. But the point is, what's another 10? What's another 20 years in comparison with eternity? No beginning, no end. And then he goes on to say, even if you get an extra 10 or an extra 20, are you sure you even want them? The brevity and also the futility, the emptiness, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Uh, That word span, your translation may say uh, best days, and I think that's a great translation. Your best days, the, the prime of your life. If you're in it, you know. I think now they say it's between 18 and 24. Just let that sink in for a moment. <laughs> your best days, they're full of frustration, they're full of toil and trouble, much less your worst days and your declining years. No matter how many days you get, whatever that number is, it's it's full of frustration, it's full of injustice, it's full of regrets, it's full of unfulfilled hopes, it's full of dashed dreams and they will soon be gone. They'll fly by, and you'll be in the ground. And I could tell by that chuckle that some of you at this point might be thinking, okay, that's enough already. (laughs) Why are you spending so much time talking about and thinking about death? Isn't this supposed to be encouraging? (laughs) Well, Moses tells us we need to think about it because we don't. We don't consider the reality of death as we should. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it, but we need to. We do all we can to keep from facing the reality of death, but we must. And Moses essentially says that in verse 11 with this question Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? I'm going to reveal my age a little bit, and you'll know that I'm not in that 18 to 24 best days category. A few years ago, I listened to a a radio series on NPR called Rethinking Death. Rethinking Death. Uh, The main premise of that series was this. It's hard to accept that everyone eventually dies. So how can we better understand death as a part of life? How can we better understand death as a part of life? And one guest on the show was a woman named Jay Rim. And in her childhood, she had a friend die, and she said this, I needed a new way to think about death, to think about death as a moment of transformation. But I'm not a religious person, so I needed something that didn't require faith. And she was an artist, so what she came up with was something that she calls the infinity burial suit. And affectionately, unofficially, she calls it the mushroom death suit. And this is why the suit is made with 100% biodegradable materials, it's infused with mushroom spores. So it speeds the decomposition of the body. It cleanses the body of toxins that would otherwise seep into the ground. And it creates a nutrient-rich soil for the plants. And in doing so, in her words, it reunites the body with the earth so that death becomes just another moment in our life cycle. And it's a neat idea. It's a conscientious idea. But if you've ever lost someone that's dear to you, you know, and I think J-Rim knows it deep down as well, death is not just another moment in our life cycle. It is not a natural part of our lives. It's horrific. It's painful. No matter how much we, we might try to rethink it to ignore the reality of death, it's there. We face it. And we live in fear of death and judgment rather than the fear of the Lord which is the beginning of wisdom. And that leads us to the final section of our psalm in verses 12 through 17. So, given that the life of God is eternal and unchanging, that our life is short, full of futility, ends in death, rightly so because of God's judgment for sin, given that we don't really want to face these realities, what do we do? What's our response? Well, we go back to where we started. Remember, this is a prayer of Moses. What do we do? We pray, and this psalm teaches us how to pray. First, how do we pray? Teach us. Teach us. And we see this in verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We don't consider the brevity of life as we should, so teach us to consider it. Lord, help us to think about it. Teach us that our time is short. Teach us how short our life is so that we can live it well. Teach us how... How limited our opportunities are so we can take advantage of them when they come. Teach us how short our time is so that we can use it well. You know, think about it. If you have a deadline that you've got to work towards, it helps you to work with more purpose. Teach us. Secondly, how do we pray? Mercy us. Yes, I made a a noun, a verb. Mercy us, verse 13. And here in verse 13, we see the first of a series of reversals from what has come earlier in the psalm. And this is what we really need. Not a rethinking of death. We need a reversal of death. Earlier in the psalm, in verse 3, we, if you look there, we have, return, O children of man. But now we have here in verse 13, it's the same word in the Hebrew text, return, O Lord. God in His righteous anger has returned man to dust, but now God Himself returns not in anger, but in mercy. And this is the great reversal of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God returns in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who on the cross Himself was turned to dust so that we could receive God's mercy. He took the curse on Himself. By wearing a crown of thorns so that we could, as we've sung this Christmas Eve, this season, have His blessings flow to us far as the curse is found. He did not deserve to die because He never sinned. He's the only one that that's true of. But He let our sins be set on His shoulders on the cross. And He was swept away. He was swept away by the flood of God's anger in our place, so that God could be the anchorage in our existence. He was consumed, not just dismayed, he was dismayed. If you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he faced the reality of the cross, he was dismayed. There was anguish in his soul, but he wasn't just dismayed, he was consumed by the wrath of God so that God could receive you with his smile. So that you could go to God and you could have that warm, simple welcome. So that in all the insecurity, all of the uncertainty that we all face in this world, that you could have God Himself as your home. Mercy us, O Lord. How do we pray? Thirdly, satisfy us. Verse 14, we see the reversals continue. Early in verse 6, we had grass that was renewed in the morning, but withering in the evening. Remember that rhythm of, of early promise, later frustration. But look here, verse 14, look at the reversal. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days, no evening, an everlasting morning that never fades into evening. In Christ, the the sun and the fresh air of that upper world has has broken through into the brokenness of this world. And one day it's going to explode into everlasting joy and light and life and splendor. And that's breaking in even now. So even in the sorrows, even in the uncertainties, even in the frustrations, you can have joy deep down, even in those sorrows, both now and forever. Keep going. Earlier in verse 9, all our days passed away under God's wrath. But look at the reversal, verse 15. Now we have make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. I think Moses here is looking ahead to the promised land and he's asking the Lord to give his people as many days in the promised land as they had in Egypt and in the wilderness. But we know in Christ, it's far greater than that. It's far greater than that. We have 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In the gospel, joys don't just balance out sorrows. They don't seem light and momentary now, but when viewed from eternity, no beginning, no end, we have an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, awaiting those in Christ. So how do we pray? Teach us, mercy us, satisfy us, and then lastly, use us. Lord, use us. For all of our frailty, for all of of the insecurity that we encountered earlier in the psalm, we see here that God's work will last forever. Look at verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. So God's work lasts forever, but I want you to notice look, verse 17. Let the favor, or better, the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So often our work, whatever your work is, whatever God has called you to do, can just seem so futile, so empty, like you're not accomplishing anything, like, like building sandcastles only to have the tide wash them away. But with God's beauty on you, The work that he's called you to do, and not just in ministry, not in the church, work in every area of your life, in in the office, in the classroom, in the garden, in your friendships and relationships, in your neighborhood, whatever the work God has called you to do, that work can be of special and eternal value to his kingdom when his beauty rests upon you in Christ. So, Lord, use us as instruments of your mercy and renewal in this broken world in which we live. How do we pray? Teach us to get a heart of wisdom. Lord, have mercy on us and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Satisfy us all our days. And then lastly, Lord, use us for your kingdom purposes in the world. I'm going to close and pray to that end for us. Let's pray. Lord God, you are our eternal home. You are the anchorage in our existence, both now in this fleeting world in these frail bodies, and forevermore in the upper world and in our glorious bodies. With this hope, help us to face unafraid the brevity of our lives and help us to pray with Moses. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Show mercy to us in Christ. Satisfy us with your love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Show your saving power in and through us and let your beauty be upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.